please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture this morning is Luke 13, 22 through 35, on page 873 of the Blue Pew Bible. Luke 13, 22 to 35. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name is Brett Sweet. One of the pastors here. We'll see my voice can handle today. Um, I mentioned a few, probably a couple of months ago now, the, the story of John Stott in Australia, just croaking his words out. Every time he went back to Australia for decades, he would meet somebody who said, do you remember that night? I was converted that day. So let me pray. Lord, your power is made perfect in weakness, so what would be a better day for revival than today? Weak people in a weak church with a weak pastor in a weak culture with nothing to offer you. But Lord, you love to reveal your glory by rescuing people when they've got nothing and nowhere else to go. And so we come with nowhere else to go but through Jesus, our narrow door. His name we pray, amen. As nice as they were, we weren't particularly close to our next-door neighbors, the Rosses, 
So I was a bit surprised one day after I, I was watching Mrs. Ross and a friend of hers in their driveway. As we pulled up to our driveway, she wandered over and uh, was talking to my mother. And as a grade schooler, uh, I wasn't really listening very well to the whole conversation, um, but it suddenly became clear she was locked out of her house. The front door was locked. She could get into the garage, but apparently the door from the garage to the house was locked. The back slider was locked. There was no way in. She had her friend with her. Perhaps she, I don't know what happened to her keys or anything like that. But as she's talking to my mom, she looks at me and says, I think maybe Brett could let us in. From the garage into the house, there was this very small door. It was about 18 inches by 18 inches. It was too small for a person. It might have been smaller than that. It was not made for people. It was the only remaining entrance into the house. It was a little wooden door with a little latch, and the reason why that was there was for firewood. You could hand firewood directly from the garage into right next to the stove in their living room. So I went over and she opened it up and I realized, okay, I'm going to have to pull myself up, do a little pull up here, reach in, grab a hold of something inside and squirm my way in like some sort of caterpillar or snake. But I was the man for the job. And I told Mrs. Ross that I could do it. There was only one way into that house. It was a narrow door, the one narrow door. I had to enter through the narrow door. So knowing facts about the homeowners, saying that I knew Mr. Ross was Carrie and Mrs. Ross was Joanne and their, sons were, their son was Michael and their daughter was Amanda, useless. Knowing where other doors were, useless. Knowing their address did not, man, did not matter. Getting close didn't really impact. A garage is not a house. You had to get into the house through the narrow door. So Jesus tells us the same thing here in Luke 13, verses 22 through 35. The kingdom of God is like that house. There is one way in, and it's through one narrow door. So it's not about knowing facts about God. It's not about knowing people who can get into the house. It's not about uh, knowing great historical figures who have entered the kingdom of God. Your race, your politics, your country, your family, your good works, your education, even your church do not get you in. There is only one way into the kingdom of God, and it's through the narrow door, Jesus so the, the main idea here is a question, a very personal question. It's this, have you entered through the narrow door? Have you entered through the narrow door? It's always good to reflect personally here. Jesus, as the king, is the only entrance point into the kingdom of God. This narrow door is shaped like a cross. It's the outline of the God-man, Jesus Christ, on the cross, creating the door into the kingdom of God. So for help, we're going to look at how we enter the kingdom of God. We're going to see that you have to strive. You strive to enter through the narrow door. 
strive to enter through the narrow door. We'll see what that means. And then you need to know how that narrow door was framed. Every door has been framed. The, the narrow door was framed as well. So we're going to look at how that happened, how it was framed. We need to know that. So first, when we think about have you entered through the narrow door, the first idea is strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive, it's Take some effort. Jesus tells us to strive. To strive means to make every effort. Every effort. So in this context, it means listening and responding to Jesus. Listening to who He is, who He claims to be. Responding with faith, trusting Him. But let's look at why we must strive to enter through the narrow door. The first reason why we must strive, we need to strive because many won't be able Many won't be able to enter. Strive because many won't be able to enter. Let's read verses 22 through 24. He went on his way, that's Jesus, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So here's the typical human. Someone, we don't have his name, he's probably grateful for that now, someone asked Jesus a very theoretical question. Jesus, kingdom of God, lots of people or just a few? Jesus loves to take people that are uh, theoretical and just like to theologize and philosophize without real application and make it personal. So he says, Listen, not everyone's getting into the kingdom of God. You don't just coast in. You don't just get in automatically. And you need to think about striving to enter. So whether it's many or few, what we do know is that many will not be able to. That means that the time to enter through this narrow door is limited. There is a lock on this door. And that lock is on a timer, and that timer runs out, we see elsewhere in Scripture, at death. There are, you only have until you die, there are no second chances, there's no purgatory, slowly to get into heaven. This narrow door has a lock, and it's on a timer. So have you entered through the narrow door, you personally? Have you done it? Are you striving to enter through the narrow door, do so because many won't be able to. They'll run out of time. It'll be too late. Now, if we're going to strive to enter through the, na the narrow door, one of the ways we strive is we strive by being known. It's the second thing we'll notice about striving. You strive by being known by Jesus. Strive by being known. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer to you. I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. The master of the house has locked the door once time is up. And the context points strongly 
basically indisputably to the master being Jesus himself. Jesus is the master. Jesus is a real person, which means he's personal, which means we can talk to him. We can know him and we can be known by him. We can have a personal relationship. And the people he keeps out of the kingdom of God are people when he says, I don't know where you came from. Matthew quotes it as, I never knew you. Now, in our culture, we're obsessed with celebrities. We can learn all kinds of things about them. We can think we know them. Now, I like the musician Sting. Just turned 71, but he's in better shape than me. I know that his real name is actually Gordon Sumner. I like his solo work, but I really like his work when he was with the band The Police. I've read his autobiography. I've read facts on Wikipedia. I've listened to most of his albums. I've, I know about how his parents divorced and then they each died one year apart. I know about how he got married, then committed adultery, uh, then got divorced, then remarried to his wife, Trudy. And one day, Trudy called and this is at, point, at this point, Sting's very wealthy. She says, Sting, everybody calls him Sting. Sting, I really want to buy this property in Wiltshire. He says, why? She lists off all these facts, how old it is, how big it is. It's $8.6 million. And she loves this property. And he's on the phone and he's like, I'm not convinced. And she says, there's a 360-year-old tree on the property, honey. He says, buy it. <laughs> See, it feels like I know him. I mean, he was right here in Spokane in 2005. He's been on the same streets and the same buildings I've been in. He's maybe eaten in the same restaurants. I, and so sometimes I think I should just go and knock on the door in Wiltshire. Say, Sting, it's me, Brett. You know, from Spokane, you sang every breath, it, every breath you take in our streets, at the arena. Open up. Does Sting know me, though? You strive to enter the narrow door by being known. So if the narrow door has a lock, it also has a peephole. And if Jesus doesn't know the person who's knocking, he does not open the door. Very sobering words. He will not open it. We will not be able to enter through the narrow door. So are you known by Jesus? Have you spoken to him? Have you truly, truly turned and trusted him? Have you relied on him? If you were to pray right now, would Jesus recognize your voice? Would it be like picking up the conversation you just had yesterday where you know one another? Or would it be Jesus going, now who is this? Who do you, tell me again who, who you are. Would it be like that stranger on the voicemail? You know Jesus as a person by trusting him, not knowing him, you know him by submitting to him. 
by loving Him, by listening to Him in His Word, being with His people, His family, the church. Every week we have a family reunion with our big brother Jesus and God our Father. Do you show up? You know Him if you have His Holy Spirit inside you, the Spirit of Christ. He bonds us inseparably to Jesus. So everywhere we go, Jesus is with us. Which means Jesus would never say, I don't know where you came from. Because I've been with you all day. He will examine, if you know Him and are known by Him, He will examine and intrude upon every part of your life. He will know all about your strengths, all about your weaknesses, all about your sins, and all about your holiness, all about your wisdom, and all about your mistakes and foolishness. But He will know you. So strive to seek Jesus until you're sure He has poured out the Spirit on you. Don't give up. If you're kind of wondering, don't give up. So have you entered through the narrow door? Strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive. Strive because many won't be, able to, won't be able to enter. And strive by being known. Here's another reason to strive, to enter through the narrow door. Strive because it's miserable outside. Strive because it's miserable outside this kingdom of God, outside the door. So strive because it's miserable outside. Look at verses 27 and 28 with me. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, outside, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Jesus, that's heavy. If you don't strive to enter through the narrow door, if you don't make every effort to listen and respond to Jesus, you will be left, it seems quite clearly, in the miseries of hell. And the door will be shut. Have you ever gotten some bad news and as soon as it hits you, you're, sh you're shaking and you're physically sick? You don't know how to respond. That's what we kind of see described here, a wailing, a gnashing of teeth. People are miserable outside. There's sorrow and there's rage, but there's no sign of remorse either. And to the Jews, Jesus is primarily speaking to here, they look in and they see their heroes. There they are. Abraham, there he is. Isaac, Jacob, the fathers, the patriarchs. Their people. They're saying, Jesus, those are my people in there. My heroes, my ancestors. But they were not known by Jesus. These people that are outside weren't known. They didn't strive to enter, so they're shut out where it's miserable. Don't let that be you. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive because many won't be able to. Strive 
by being known. Strive because it's miserable outside. And here's the last reason. Strive because it's a feast inside. So it's not only a little bit of fear. Jesus isn't afraid to use fear as a motivator sometimes. It's also reward and pleasure that motivates us to enter through the narrow door. Strive because it's a feast inside. It's a feast inside. Look at verses 29 and 30. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some who are first will be last. So inside is a feast, a banquet, a party. You want to be inside. We've all been forgotten, left out. I remember from some friends of mine when I was in high school, it was late July and they were going to go to Silverwood. And oh, Brett, it also is your birthday. Shoot, we'll pay for you. We'll go tomorrow or actually the day after tomorrow, and I go and I play golf the day before we're ready to go, and there's uh, the mother of one of my friends at the golf course, and she says, I thought you would be at Silverwood today. Like, no, we're going tomorrow. No, they went today. Left out. You want to be inside. If Jewish people who rely on their religion or their family background or living on the streets with Jesus, we saw you teach Jesus. You know us. But look, there are some who are in who you wouldn't think would have been in. Weren't Jews. Weren't related to Abraham, Isaac. They were from Everywhere. Jesus said, it's interesting in Luke, he says, I don't know where you're from, but then he says, you can come from anywhere. You can be from the north. You can be from the south. You can be an Eskimo, or you can be an Aboriginal Australian. You can come from the east. You can be from Japan. You can come from the west. You can be a Native American. It doesn't matter where you come from if you're known. All will be welcome to the feast in the kingdom of God if they've entered through the narrow door. That's good news. So there is a call for diversity in the church, united around Jesus Christ. We've come through the same door. We're trusting the same Savior. There is reason for that. So having favoritism as well, pointless looking at really wealthy people and thinking they're really important and really poor people as unimportant, has no place here because we all came through the narrow door. We all had to duck and squeeze and strive. There's going to be people who have really clean backgrounds. Everything's been stable, healthy. They're they're the fourth generation Christians and their family were we're very productive members of society. And then there's these people over here where it's like, man, all I've got is Jesus. My life's a mess. History of abuse, addiction. Welcome. Welcome. Enter through the narrow door. It's a feast inside. Which means we don't need to make the door more narrow than it already is. 
So how we relate to people as a church matters. You've got visitors and you're a little unsure of them. You investigate a little bit. You get to know them. You welcome them. You don't say, boy, I'm a little uncomfortable. I hope they leave. Make it easy for them to leave. The, dare, the door is narrow enough. So the local church is a place where we can help one another continue to strive to always be entering through the narrow door, encouraging one another to believe and rejoice. You people in your discipleship groups and community groups, encouraging one another, keep going. Remember, you, you don't need to build a new door. You can rest. The door has been made. But how? That's the next main point. Know how the narrow door was framed. Know how the narrow door was framed. Every doorway in every house needs to be framed before it can be hung. How was this one framed? It was framed, we're told, by Christ's death. It was framed by Christ's death. That's a key factor in this stage in Luke's gospel, was framed by Christ's death. Let's read verses 31 through 33. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now, before I prove to you that the door was framed by Christ's death, let me be curious with you for a moment. Probably the only time in my life I'll preach through Luke. So I have some curiosities here. I'm going to answer them if you have them too. Why did the Pharisees warn Jesus? Do they really actually care for him right now? Or is it just they want to get him away from Jerusalem? Answer, we don't know. Could be bad motives, could be good motives, we don't know. Other curious thing, what's with Jesus calling Herod a fox? Some of you get really excited about that. See, what's very interesting is that all throughout the Bible, we're told to really, really respect and honor and speak well of people in, a, in authority over us. But the great king has given us, it seems, an example where there might be times where we can critique leaders. So no leaders above critique, whether they're red or they're blue. And I think that reference to Fox is not that he's so sly and cunning. I think it goes back to Nehemiah, back to Nehemiah 4.3. Nehemiah 4.3, they're building a wall. They're building a city. And the people are making fun of the, of the, the rebuilders. Said, your wall is so small, a fox would jump on it or could jump over it. So what Jesus, I think, is saying is, Herod, you think I'm scared of Herod? Herod's nothing. He's a fox. He's not an elephant. He's not a camel. He's not a tiger. He's a fox. And then this reference to the third day. I think this is not literally third day. Almost nobody believes that. It's a reference to, this is like a list, a third thing on the list. It's coming. So there, all your curiosities are answered. 
Now, let's see again that the narrow door is framed by Christ's death. In Luke 9, Jesus told us he's going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? To die. So every reference on Luke's travel narrative in these chapters, when you hear Jerusalem, what we are meant to think about is he's not just headed to a city, he's headed to the grave. He's headed to the cross. That's where he's headed. And God is in control of all of it. There was a course laid out for Jesus. There was a goal. He has been journeying the whole time towards his death to complete his work, the HCSB says, or to reach his goal, the NIV says. Every step toward Jerusalem was a knowing step towards dying according to plan. So the narrow door is cross-shaped. That's how Jesus framed it. It's interesting, a door has, a, has vertical wood and horizontal wood, and so does a cross. Jesus framed it, framed that door by his death. There's only one way to enter, through the narrow door. You must make Jesus' death your own. He must be your substitute, regardless of what the many or the few are doing. Here's what this looks like. Talking to Jesus. Jesus, I know that my sins have locked me out of the kingdom of God. I know I will never get in another way. I deserve to be left outside where it's miserable, where I'll receive the wrath of God. I need you to make a way for me. I know you finished your course. I know you died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, taking all their wrath. Let that be for me. Not just for others, but for me. I believe that you died for my sins, not for just the sins of others sins of mine. Thank you for dying so you could frame this door. Thank you for finishing your course and rising on the third day. Send your spirit to help me strive to enter, to submit to you, to trust you, to love you, to rest in you. And when you really believe that, God looks at you and he says, righteous, Welcome, you're in, you're safe, you're home. And he looks at you as he looks at Jesus, his son, as holy. And it has nothing to do with your works. Have you entered through the narrow door? Know how the narrow door was framed. It was framed by Christ's death. Now, lastly, it was framed despite our unwillingness. It was framed despite our unwillingness. Let's read verses 34 through 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. You would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. The reason why Jesus needed to frame the narrow door is because the people of Jerusalem and the people of Spokane are totally unwilling to submit to God. Jesus makes a profound statement here. He implies that when Isaiah and Amos and Ezekiel and Haggai and others were sent by God, they were sent by Jesus. Jesus saying, I'm God. They worked for me. It was Jesus who was trying to gather the children together. And this is a history of unwilling people who hate God. Michael J. Williams in his book, The Prophet and His Message, says that the number one thing a prophet does is represents. He represents. Prophet represents himself, he represents his people, and he represents God. So when all the prophets were being killed, it was the people saying, we want God dead. And now Jesus is on his way. And they're really going to try to get their wish. They're going to get their chance. But there's also something else to note. We can stand back and say, those fools in Jerusalem, they know. I mean, haven't they seen the signs? Jesus is the one. We wouldn't have been like that. But here's something else, another principle that underlies the Old Testament. In Exodus 19.6, Israel is called a kingdom of priests. And priests represent people toward God. So the nation of Israel was meant to be a model or really the piece of evidence of how a people relate to God. So Israel was meant to relate to God in such a way that all other nations learned from them and followed them to worship the living God. But the way Jerusalem and Israel and these Jews related to God was with hatred and unwillingness, refused to follow. And in many ways, they were the best in as far as their relationship with God. So we would be even more unwilling. They were a picture of how mankind relates to God with all, even with opportunities and privileges. And that was a picture of constant and repeated rejection. A picture of constant and repeated unwillingness. And there's a sense in which God wants us to see that we're just like them. They were representing us. So when Jesus says, you would not, saying we're unwilling. Everyone who rejects Jesus as the narrow door rejects him willingly. They're doing exactly what they want to do. It's our nature to do so. We don't really want to deal with God. We're dead in our sins, the Bible says. We can't even see the kingdom of God, Jesus says. It's foolishness to us, the Apostle Paul says. We need a new nature. You must be born again, Jesus says. So in the Reformed tradition, we look at our unwillingness and we see a massive reason to distrust ourselves and to humble ourselves to acknowledge our sin. And then we look at the narrow door 
If we were unwilling, what sort of love is this? To come and die for people who don't want Him? What sort of power does this God have to give new hearts to people to want to love Him, to want to be willing? What sort of grace to take the unwilling and reveal Himself beautifully, to overcome our unwillingness? Say, you know what, you're resisting me, you hate me, but I love you, and I'm going to overcome you, change you so that you want me. And that's what the, we see in the Bible. Take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What sort of love to promise to come back again? Verse 35, when we'll all see Jesus' blessed return as a rescue mission completed. Now, do you sometimes wonder why you look at the people around you and they seem really interested in spiritual things? They actually are excited to go to church on Sunday. It's not like they don't have to and they want to. You don't quite get it. It might be that you don't have a new nature yet. It might be that your heart is still unwilling. Ask God to overcome you, to defeat you in this way. There's misery outside and a feast inside. Now, I like apologetics. That's why I do Q&A a little bit on one of the reasons why on the first Sunday of the month afterwards. And I like to include it in a sermon here. And so there's this question. Why couldn't God have made the door wider? Why couldn't there be more doors? Even for those who aren't Christians. It's an interesting question. But I'm not going to answer it with apologetics. And here's why. Jesus didn't model that here. We could sit here. I could tell you hey, here's why, these are the reasons, it makes sense, and God's glory and God's honor, all really important. There's There's one narrow door, Jesus says. He's acted to make it. Jesus says, basically, mind your own heart business right now. There's a narrow door. When you fall in a well, there's only one way out. You don't complain when someone lifts you out of it. If you're, if you're locked in a room and there's only one door, you don't complain that somebody finally comes along and unlocks it. You just rejoice that it's open. As long as the door, as long as you're alive, the door is open. Any door is enough. One door is enough, whether you're from the east or the west, the north or the south. And notice what God did to frame this door. He did all the work. You get in free of charge. No money, no good deeds. Your striving and efforts are merely a response to what Jesus has done for unwilling people, people like me, like you. So there are many wide doors out there, lots of them, but they won't get you where you need to be. It's not the color or the height or the shape of the door that matters most. It's where it goes. And the one you need is the narrow door. Have you entered through the narrow door? So love the people around you. 
bring them to the narrow door. Bring them to the narrow door. Tell them of Jesus. When you're anxious and discouraged and worried, remember how the door was framed. Jesus doing all the work. You just being known by him. You don't need to do all the work. You just respond. I made it through the narrow door. I made it inside. Not because I was so great or wise or wealthy or strong. In fact, all that probably could have kept me out. It was a narrow door. It took effort. But by God's grace, I fit through it. Now, which narrow door are you talking about now, Brett? The only narrow door, Jesus, the door to the kingdom of God. Have you entered through the narrow door? Don't exit these doors till you've entered the narrow door today. Let me pray. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us and generosity. Thankful for the narrow door. We rejoice in the coming moments as we think about a better and clearer imagery of what it takes to frame the door. So help us, Lord. Help us to mind our own business, examine our own hearts, and listen and respond to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.